Welcome to episode 238 of the Women of the Military podcast. This week my guest is Susan Maley. While being a speechwriter in the military is just one small piece of Susan's career in the Air Force, she shares about how the experience shaped who she is today. She attended the Air Force Academy and then after graduation had the opportunity to get her master's at Harvard. She then did a tour in Italy as a maintenance officer and was excited about her last winter in Italy when the opportunity to become a speechwriter for a four-star general came up and led to her leaving Italy a little earlier than expected and heading off to Ohio. Today, she is the founder and CEO of Maley Strategies, a strategy advisory helping small technology and professional services businesses scale and grow. Before we get started with this week's interview, I want to remind you that you have the opportunity to listen to Women of the Military podcast now on Reese Across America Radio twice a week. That's Fridays at 7 p.m. Eastern and Saturdays at 11 a.m. Eastern. And you can listen on iHeartRadio, the TuneIn app, or Odyssey. And now with that out of the way, let's get started with this week's interview. Welcome to the show, Susan. I'm so glad you're here. Thank you, Amanda. It's great to be here. So let's start with why did you decide to join the military? I grew up in a military family. I was born at West Point while my dad was teaching Russian there. So I always knew about the military and started looking at it in high school, uh, the different service academies, and then visited Colorado and just fell in love with Air Force Academy and, and wanted to attend. So you were born at West Point and then you went to the Air Force Academy. So is there like an Army Air Force like rivalry in your family? <laughs> there definitely is. My brother went to West Point as well, but I did have an opportunity to be an exchange cadet my junior year to West Point, uh, which was just incredible to be there in the fall and just kind of see a different culture and a different experience. But I definitely think for me, I made the right choice and I'm, I'm pleased with having gone there. So let's talk a little bit about like the process of getting into the academy just because i know a lot of my listeners are like younger women who are considering the military what was that process like and i mean it's intense so just give us an overarching view of what that was like yes it was an intense process i uh you know there's a lot of applications to write you've got to apply through your congressman or your senator or try to get a presidential nomination so you have to be nominated to attend but I would encourage any um, young man or woman who is interested in attending an academy to explore the process and to, to kind of get into the application process. So there's the actual written application. There's an interview process. So I went into D.C. to Howard University for that interview process. And then there's a physical process. Um, and I can't remember everything that was on it, but I do remember at one point I had to throw a basketball really far. And I kept thinking, like, how is this going to help me? But yes, there were definite, uh, definitely different physical fitness standards to be able to get in. Yeah. So how early in your high school, like, did you find out your senior year that you were going to go there? Yes. So I knew, I think probably midway through senior year, but I had also applied to different Virginia schools. Uh, that's where I grew up and went to to high school. So it was uh, UVA, Virginia Tech, and then uh, Duke University. So you had your West, or not West Point, the Academy, and then you had your backups. Yes, yes. I, I don't know if they'd want to be known as that, uh, but I did also look at ROTC, and um, that was uh, an option as well. And actually, um, I wanted to be a chemist, and I studied chemistry at the Air Force Academy. Duke offered me an ROTC scholarship, but it was for physics. They wouldn't offer me chemistry, and that was kind of the, the tipping point. That makes sense. Okay, so you got in and you were headed to the academy. What was the experience of attending the academy like? 
So I had a great experience. Uh, the people that I went through with are some of my best friends today. Uh, I think everyone would say, you know, it's been almost 20 years. So a lot of the bad stuff fades. I'm sure there were difficult times, but I like to joke with some of my closest friends that misery loves company. So, you know, when you're a freshman or there, you're called a fourth class cadet. You don't get to go out as often. You've got to sign out. Um, so it was not a typical uh, college experience per se, but it opened up a lot of windows. I got to go to jump school. So I did free fall. The Air Force Academy has an incredible free fall program. So after, uh, I think it's one or two weeks of training by upperclassmen, you get to jump out of an airplane. You're not tandem, uh, you know, by yourself, you pull your own chute. And we did survival training. I got to um, do a summer scientific seminar. Uh, so there's a lot of opportunities that come with maybe some of the potential drawbacks. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I've heard from people, it's like, I did it one time, and I'm glad that I don't have to do it again. I but, would say the same thing. If I could go with the exact same set of people and have very similar conditions, I think I'd sign up for it. Um, but yes, it's it's definitely, you know, going to basic training, it's the mentality of like, okay, I got to get through this, got to get through my fourth class year. Once you go through recognition, which at that time was in the March time frame, you're formally a recognized cadet, so you don't have to walk around at attention and kind of do all the things that you did for the the summer in that first part of the year. I love hearing about, it seems so challenging and so hard, but like the things that come out of it are so good. It's great to hear that that's what you have to look forward to. Yeah. And the academic education is, is incredible. So the class sizes at that point were probably 20 to 30 with 30 being on the higher end. So you're getting a lot of individual attention from the instructors. So there's kind of the three components you have your academics and then you have your military requirements and then you have your athletic requirements. Yeah. And you said that you wanted to be a chemist. So did you get to do that at the Air Force Academy? So I did. I majored in chemistry and I think it was about junior year when I thought, I don't know if I exactly want to be a chemist anymore. Uh, I love the theory of chemistry. I like to joke that I blow things up in the lab. So, you know, the actual lab science, it's very, um, it takes a lot of time. It's not always successful. It can be lonely because you're going into the lab on the weekends, kind of check what's going on. So I realized that long-term it wasn't what I wanted to do, but I'm thankful that I did major in it because it really set the analytical foundation for how I approach of a lot of the work that I did in the Air Force and then after I got out. So didn't uh, end up as a chemist, but was glad that I did that as my program. And so you didn't end up as a chemist. So what did you end up doing in the Air Force? So I was an aircraft maintenance officer. Uh, I led the technicians who fixed the F-16s. So my first assignment out of the Air Force, or excuse me, out of the academy was to go to Harvard. The Air Force Academy sends, it's usually four or five cadets uh, who are accepted the Harvard program for their first two years. So that's where I spent my time as a second lieutenant, uh, earned a master in public policy, and then became an aircraft maintenance officer where I served in Italy, which was an incredible assignment, uh, deployed to Iraq. And then my last assignment was as a speechwriter to the four-star general who oversaw maintenance and logistics. Wow. That's like quite the career in like just a short time span. <laughs> like, Yeah, it it was six years and people were like, how did you do maintenance and speech writing? And I was like, your guess is as good as mine. So one day my commander called me to his office and he was like, how would you like to be a speech writer? And I was looking at the Dolomites behind his desk, uh, staring out the window. And I was like, I really want to be here to ski next winter. Uh, but when he told me about the opportunity, it was going to Wright Patterson. I was working for a four-star general, being part of his CAC, the Commander's Action Group. And it was just an incredible opportunity to see the corporate side of the Air Force um, do something a little bit different. And it was a really good experience living in Ohio, in Ohio as well. Yeah, that's really cool. Well, I don't want to get 
too far ahead. So let's jump back to, you said that the academy has a few cadets go and get their master's after graduating. So what was that experience like? You're, you know, you're going to school, but this is more like the college environment and you're getting paid second lieutenant pay. So it's, that seems like a sweet deal. So it is a sweet deal. I would say it was an incredibly hard transition for me just because I went from the structured military environment. You know, I was 17 when I entered the academy, you eat at the dining hall there. So I was learning how to cook. I was learning how to, you know, pay my rent on time. I was studying at school. Culturally, I was, you know, interacting with with people who had very different undergraduate experiences. So I am thankful for the time there. I enjoyed it. I liked the curriculum and the exposure to incredible professors, which is from like a life perspective. It was, oh, you know, no one's monitoring where I'm going. And, you know, I remember asking the master sergeant at MIT where we took our annual fitness test. I was like, do I have to sign out? And he was like, nobody cares where you are going. Just, you know, graduate and do what you need to do. And it was just such a different experience. So one of the things that I tried to do was structure my time a little bit because I feel like I deal better in a structured environment. And that has actually helped me. I transitioned to corporate and eventually we can talk about that. And then I took a sabbatical before starting my own business. And just like each time I realized that I needed to structure that time for me to be um, as successful as I wanted to. And that can be anything like get up and get your workout done and you know, have a good meal plan and have a good plan for what I want to accomplish during the day. Because that unbound time when I got to Harvard was just a, a new experience for me. Um, and it took a little bit of adjusting too. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Because I have a planner where I write out what I want to get done every week. And like this morning, I was like, oh, I just know what I need to do. And I was like, nope, you have to stop and write it down. Because like, even though it's all up in my head, I need it on a piece of paper to guide me. And then I like checking things off. I like checking them off as well. That I love that you talked about that because I think even uh, as like service members, when they leave the military, very structured, very rigid, and like they go to school, they have a similar thing. I don't know if you've heard of Student Veterans of America. They're an organization that helps veterans and they created it because there was like this like lack of community around You know, like you said, people had experienced college that was very different than what they had. And just like, you know, veterans, they go back to school and their classmates are like so different from them that it can be really hard. Yeah, that sounds like a great organization. I think just you hit on the topic of community. So I feel like in the military, that's really built into the experience. You know, I talk about the Air Force Academy and what comes to mind first is the community that I built there. Um, And that's something that I had to work really hard at Harvard. Not that I felt like I needed a huge community, uh, but I was one of the youngest who attended. Most people had some type of professional experience. Many of them already had families. And so they weren't living kind of on campus. I was off campus as well. So it was just trying to forge those relationships and try to create that community in a new environment. Yeah, that sounds like really challenging and something I think something like I was like oh that's sweet deal you're like yeah it was great but there are also challenges yeah I mean I wouldn't trade it for the world there's no complaints here but it was definitely I had to work on some different skills than had made me successful to that point so that I could pivot and just kind of learn more uh, life skills moving forward so then you graduated and your life pivoted again and you headed off to Italy a new country a new experience, a new job. So what was that experience like? 
that was a great experience. So I went to aircraft maintenance officer course before that. I was in Texas for three months, then went over to Italy. I got the, at that time, CDs so that I could learn Italian. You don't necessarily need it per se, because the work I was doing every day was on base. But anywhere that I've moved, I've tried to learn the language just because I feel like it can help build relationships within the culture. So my first assignment was as the avionics flight commander. So there were 70 airmen in the flight and I had incredible uh, team, senior master sergeant and master sergeant who really showed me the ropes um, and kind of around the technology um, and kind of how operations ran. And, you know, my um, approach was to listen and learn as much as possible because they'd been doing it many times longer than I had been alive and uh, wanted to make sure that I leaned on my team to make it successful. So was there anything from that time that like really stood out to you or like a crazy story? You said that you deployed to Iraq, so we should talk about that too. Gosh, crazy story. There's only one in particular I can remember is I went on a run. It was supposed to be like a seven mile run, but I took a right when it should have been a left. And I was like running through some small Italian town um, and I was with some of the airmen. And then they had to come back around the corner and pick me up because it was like 13 miles later. <laughs> and I was new there and I was like, I thought you said to go left at this, and he, but like because of the angle, it looked like left. Anyway, that was a long run. I don't know how crazy the story was, but I mean, in general, a very long run. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I turned into a walk by the end of it. Um, I was just like, get me back to, get me back to home base. I don't think anything too crazy. I mean, I had a great opportunity to travel with un- other uh, company grade officers, and you know, skiing up in the Dolomites and um, going to Slovenia and Croatia. So it was a really cool opportunity to travel as well. And then you mentioned that you went to Iraq. So what was that experience like? Overall, it was a good experience. I deployed as the maintenance operations officer for the expeditionary maintenance squadron. So in that role, there were 300 plus airmen, and it was making sure that the fleet of F-16s were uh, ready for launch. I'm thankful for my time there. I think it was kind of similar to many just kind of daily operations where sometimes it's super crazy, sometimes it's a little boring. Uh, then there was like the interspersed fear, you know, when you hear an incoming mortar. But for the most part, it was um, a positive experience. And I'm thankful I had the opportunity to serve. And how how long were you deployed for? It was just shy of a five-month deployment. So it was like May through September. Um, there was a lot of rotation. So it was like just by the time that I spun up, then it was time to turn it back over. Um, but it was definitely during the hot summer months. And if there was any running, it was, you know, 4.30 in the morning-ish. Um, and one of the other reasons that I got up early, which I think is probably important to mention, is because of the the burn pits. So I think I've seen in some of your previous conversations talking about the recent legislation, the PACT Act. Uh, so that's a process that I have gone through, and I would encourage anyone who has served and served overseas and was exposed to the toxic burn pits to find out about the burn pit registry um, and to look into filing a claim if it yeah. affects you. Yeah, I'm... I recently got registered with the VA and I'm working through my claim because I had melanoma that they found really early. I got really lucky and that was one of the presumptives in the PACT Act. And so there's so many, and I was like, PACT Act, like, how close did you have to be to the burn pits? They're like, in Afghanistan. I was like, oh, okay. Because I was like, I remember driving by them. And they were like, no, you just have to be in the country. That's that's all the requirement. And so, yeah, I, I that is really important to talk about. And I did an episode because I thought it was so important, like specifically on the PACT Act with people who helped pass that because it's so important. 
It really is. And you mentioned about getting registered with the VA for care. I hadn't done that. I mean, it had been, you know, almost 20 plus years, but without that legislation, there was really no need. I wasn't getting my care there. Uh, but at least now I'm in the system. You're able to get the, the ID card. Um, and then you just, are, again, you're in the registry. You never know what will happen down the road. Yeah, I went to the training that it's women's heart training that I think they they wrapped it up. They'll do it again next year. But I went to that training and I was like learning about the importance of being part of the VA. And like, even if you're just going for your yearly appointment, like as you get older and things come up, having like those benefits, those earned benefits are so important. And just by not registering you don't get access to them. And so while I was doing the training, I thought I had missed my chance, but then I found out I was still able to get in. And I was like really upset because I was like, I didn't register, but no one told me. And I didn't know any of this information before I took this training. So I think it's really important that if you don't know anything about that, that you go to that training when they offer it again and that you, you know, and I did an episode, I'll link to it in the show notes talking about what I learned so that even though you can't attend the training right now because they're not doing them, you can learn about it because it's so important. It's really, really important. It really is. And one of the other things I learned in the process, I didn't attend that specific training, was just there's not as much data on women veterans. And so when there were certain things I asked about, you know, right now they're studying male veterans for them, but they're not studying female veterans yet. And so I feel like there is an element of kind of helping individuals, but helping the greater good, if you will, by having that pool of data to determine trends uh, that might affect women differently. That is, that's really true. And I went to, my husband's still in the military, so I went to the medical doctor for my annual appointment and I was like, I deployed, is there anything that you like are worried about? And they were like, no. And I was like, this is why I need to go to the VA because like, you know, a civilian doctor probably would have said the same thing. I don't know for sure. But the doctor I talked to at the base was just like, I don't understand why you're asking me these questions. And I was like, I don't understand why this isn't a concern for you. Like, I'm a veteran, but you work with people in the military. And so it was kind of interesting because I was like, I'm going to my appointment with the VA soon. And I'm interested to see how they answer the questions because I am getting older. And even though they're like moving breast cancer back for civilians, I'm like, I don't think that's the same thing for women veterans, the screenings that they need to check. And so. Yeah, I definitely encourage it. So thank you for linking yeah. the conversation. So you were happy doing your job. You're in Italy and then this amazing opportunity came up. And so you're like, I guess I'll give up skiing so that I can go to right Right, right. I waived the cost-benefit analysis. So effectively, I wrote a sample speech. I think it was a sample Memorial Day speech and was selected. And then I moved to Ohio. So they curtailed my Aviano assignment, but I think about five months or so. Uh, but I did ask my incoming commander, I said, is it okay if the first weekend that I get there, that I fly to Florida, see about this guy that I've been talking to, who happens to be my husband of, now it's like 12 plus years, actually 13. We had known each other at Aviano and he was at Patrick. Um, so it was an opportunity for us both to be stateside. I guess that worked out. <laughs> yeah, we would joke, we're like, seems to be working out okay. 13 years and strong. So you were in Ohio and he was in Florida and you were doing this like pretty incredible job that sounds like both exciting and probably a lot of work. So what was that experience like? It was fascinating 
So I was part of a commander's action group. And so there were different action officers assigned to different areas within um, kind of the span of control within the command. Um, so I was able to kind of peer into each one of those areas, but I also carved out the speech writing role. So when I would see that, you know, we've got 13 speeches coming up, I'd be doing the research, I'd be understanding the audience, I'd be, you know, writing a draft, getting feedback on that. So I was able to do some of that action officer work kind of around what I found really interesting, the research and development portion, because Air Force Material Command had that within its purview. And then the speeches, I would like to joke, they're everything from the Boy Scouts popcorn kickoff to a technical presentation to a room full of engineers. So it was just, it was an environment where I was always learning because I was being challenged to write about something that I didn't necessarily have the expertise in, but I was able to talk to the experts and develop content and then kind of refine it from there. And sometimes you would read it verbatim and sometimes it would just be kind of a guide. So I quickly learned not to get too attached to it and just kind of feel like, you know, my success was that it helped prepare him um, for his yeah. success. I really like the freelance writing because I get the same opportunity to like learn about different things and then write about it because it's just and you get to like have all these different areas like you don't have to just focus on one area so that reminds me so that sounds really cool i'm one of my top five strength finders is learning so like i think i would really like that job where like oh i get to learn about this today and now i get to learn about that it'd be really fun yes i just recently took strength finders and i laughed when i saw the results i'm like nailed it yes 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 and learning is one of them just because you know, I think it, it helped as I branched into consulting and then I've done some writing as well now. And it's just, I like continually learning about, you know, people and new organizations and it aligns yeah. with my strengths. Yeah. So it's fun. Yeah. When I took the strength finders, I didn't really understand its value because I was still in the air force and they didn't quite align with like what I was doing. And I was like, oh, well, and now like I've learned a lot more about it and I'm like, oh, well now I know why I didn't like it. Cause I wasn't learning. I was doing the same thing over and over and I wasn't challenged. And I was like, this is so boring. <laughs> so I have struggled with that throughout my career of being bored. You know, when you, you try to master something very quickly and then you're like, I got it like next thing, but you're kind of in the keep doing this. Um, so I hear you on that. It's, it's hard. And there's nothing worse than that feeling of like, there's so much more that I can be doing. And I, I feel like I don't have that opportunity or, um, it's not the right fit to be able to do that right now. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So you did that job. How long were you in that job before you got out of the military? I was in the job for a year. So it was 2009 that I separated. And I always knew that I wanted to do about five or six years. So when you go to a service academy, you incur a five-year commitment. So I was able to get out in 2008, but because I took the PCS to come back to the States, I owed a year. And then, as I mentioned previously, my husband and I, you know, we were on the path to getting married and we wanted the opportunity to live together. And he had been deployed to Iraq multiple times and was on his way to Afghanistan. And we just both said, it's time for us to get so out. So he got out too? He got out in 2010. So he was in one year longer. But thankfully, I got an assignment in Florida where he was living. So um, I was able to do some of my consulting work remotely. Yeah, that that's a lot. I like, I like how you're like, we just wanted to live together, like bare minimum. <laughs> yeah, well, we were friends in Italy. And then, you know, we dated long distance. We had a firm foundation. And then we were engaged for a year while he was in Baghdad. And so we just kind of saw the writing on the wall. This was, you know, 
I was over in Iraq during the surge and it was just kind of this constant churn of deployments. And so we're both thankful for the time that we served and um, we were both ready at that point to move on. So what was that transition out? Like first you transition and then he transitioned in a pretty short span of time. And so like I, my husband's still in. And so I feel like I have transition, even though it was really hard. Right. Um, and I'm like not looking forward to the next transition. And I also am really excited that we're almost done with military time. So. So that transition wasn't as hard once I finally made it. I think I kind of had the warm up when I went to grad school of like, oh, I can put my hands in my pockets and my hair can touch my collar, you know, I had the joke of being able to um, just live in civilian clothes. So the year before I got out, so while I was looking for jobs, that was really stressful because I felt like I had this fun, exciting, stressful job, you know, writing speeches and, and doing really fun work. And then I felt like I had this job after work, which was looking for my job after the Air Force. So job hunting in itself, I feel like is a job. But I ended up meeting someone who worked at Booz Allen and learned about consulting. I didn't know anything about it when I was in the Air Force. And so it was a fairly natural transition because some of the first work I was doing was for Air Force clients. And so I was doing government work and I was learning the art of consulting, kind of learning being in a private company, but doing it in an environment where I understood the culture, I understood the language. And I felt like I could add value pretty quickly because I was coming with that experience. So yeah, it was all in all, I would say a good transition. And then, you know, a year later, uh, my husband had a, a good experience as well. I think finding a job is a job in itself, but a lot of times people do it as they're doing something else. And so people don't think about how much work it is. <laughs> right. So you're not consulting today, though. You started your own business, right? I did. So I was with Booz Allen from 2009 until 2020. And then in 2020, I launched Molly Strategies, which is a strategy advisory to make small business strategy simple. So effectively taking what I learned in corporate America and working with small business owners. And I love it. It's just, it's a dream. That's awesome. So why did you decide to take that leap and switch out of the corporate role into being a small business owner? There were a couple of reasons. So kind of my, my arc at Booz Allen was first doing the Air Force analytics work. Then I transitioned to the Booz Allen commercial team where my role was creating small cybersecurity organizations. So working across different Fortune 500 companies in retail and automotive, oil and gas and cybersecurity product vendors. And it was really during that time that I just fell in love with small business because I was effectively part of a small business that was part of a larger business. There were only about 150 people on the team. And I just really... Um, it planted the seeds for entrepreneurship. I was like, this is, it's fun, it's fast, um, it's creative. And so that planted the idea. And this is around 2015. It's when I had my first daughter and then I had my second daughter in 2016. So I wasn't ready to be making any huge shifts at that point, but I started going to women business center trainings, reading, listening to podcasts. The trainings enabled me to meet like lawyers and accountants and just have conversations with them and said, you know, if I were to do this, what would it look like? And then my husband got an opportunity to work in the Netherlands in 2019. And it was just really kind of the perfect time. I was already at the point where I was like, I really want to do this. We were moving overseas. So I took one year as a sabbatical. I like to say that I learned Dutch, which I did. And I rode my bike everywhere. I took my kids to school. I had a ball. And then the pandemic hit and I was homeschooling for a little bit. But thankfully, the Dutch kept their kids in school for most of the time. So there were really only two six-week periods. And then that summer of 2020 is when I launched 
remotely. So I was doing some work from the Netherlands and I'd had people reach out to me and say, you know, can you support me on this? And I said, no, technically I'm still employed. I cannot uh, talk to me in July. And a um, few of them came back and then I had some clients that I was working with. So I started really small. Um, and then as we moved back, we got back in August of 2021. I've been increasing my work since then and taking on more clients. I love hearing how the whole like experience, like you were kind of thinking about it. And then when you moved overseas, you took a break and then, then you were ready to launch during the pandemic. <laughs> I know, then along, along came a pandemic. Yeah, it's been an opportunity to create, you know, to uh, be an entrepreneur, to have time with my family, which is really important. So I can, you know, I tried to do that as much as I could in corporate America as well to, you know, take off a morning and go in and read a book at school. But now I really try to plan that workload around the rhythm of our family and integrate both just to the kind of lifestyle that we want. I mean, that is like one of the best parts of entrepreneurship is like, being able to make your schedule work around your, and you're the boss, so you don't have to ask anyone. You just set it up to where you want. I, I've been able to work in my first graders classroom this year, like every Monday in the morning. And it's been so nice to be able to get to know the kids, like know the teacher and be aware of like what's going on in the classroom. And just, I mean, and even get to get connected with the school because we just moved here this summer and so it's been a great way to get involved and it wouldn't be possible working like a full-time job and so I really I really love it is there anything else from your time either in the military or since you left that you wanted to talk about that we didn't cover I guess I would say for those who are thinking about becoming an entrepreneur you know from the military to take confidence in the skills that you have, they are transferable into the business environment. They are often called by different names. So it's just learning a new terminology or a new language, but to be confident in taking that leap, whether it is to corporate America or to becoming an entrepreneur, that the work and the time that you've done in the military is very much transferable. That's so true. I love that piece of advice. And now I'm going to ask for one more piece of advice. And well, that's what advice would you give to the next generation of women who are considering military service? I would say you can absolutely do it. Research the different branches to see what you think might be uh, the best fit for you. Talk to as many people. And if you don't know veterans, these kinds of podcasts are great to hear other stories, which is one of the reasons why I wanted to share, especially as I raised two girls who potentially might go down that path. I would also say have confidence in who you are. You know, there are challenging times. Um, so recognizing kind of your, your values, potentially your faith, uh, what is important to you going into the process to not let that be shaken, to know that, you know, they're going to give you more than you can possibly do in one day. And that's kind of the whole point to see how you <laughs> respond under stress, but to realize that it's temporary and that it's definitely worth it. And that there's a place for you as a woman, as a girl uh, in the military. And there's definitely a lot of opportunity. So I just encourage you to consider it. Thank you so much for being a guest on the podcast and for sharing your story. I really enjoyed getting to know you. Thank you, Amanda. I appreciate your time. Thanks so much for listening to this week's interview. I'm really thankful that you took the time to listen to this episode. And I wanted to tell you about two resources that may help you in your journey of military service. And so the first is 
my book, A Girl's Guide to Military Service. It's meant to help you answer all your questions about military life and give you a firm foundation for the start of your career. And if you're looking for mentorship or want to be a mentor, please check out the Women of the Military Mentorship Program. You can sign up to be a mentee or a mentor. Thanks so much for listening and have a great week.